0: L.A.S. Studios. If you didn't know, you must know by now. The How to LA team loves spooky season. I really don't care so much. Call me a Halloween Grinch. So we decided to replay a piece of LA history for you with a pretty famous ghost story at the center. Sit back and enjoy some tales from the Biltmore Hotel downtown, which just celebrated its 100th birthday at the start of this month
1: you've just got all these layers of true crime history film history religious history political history all of this stuff encapsulated in this one hotel
0: this is how to la the podcast that helps you discover this city i'm your host brian de los santos Today, we're exploring one of LA's most historic landmarks, the Biltmore Hotel here in downtown LA. It celebrates 100 years in October, and since How to LA just celebrated its one-year anniversary, we thought it would be fitting to feature some of the most iconic spots here in LA that are hitting the century mark. The Biltmore was built in the 1920s, and it has such history. Becoming the place to be in Prohibition era Los Angeles, its role in the origins of the Academy Awards, its significance to the notorious Black Dahlia murder case, and that's just the beginning. So we hit up Hadley Mears, one of our favorite LA historians, to meet up there and learn all about it. We also had to grab a drink and a bite at the hotel bar.
1: Cheers! Cheers! Biltmore
0: history. That's right. To chat about the century-old hotel's history, we found a quieter spot, the Biltmore's original lobby. It's now called the Rendezvous Court, and it's where they serve breakfast, lunch, and on the weekends, high tea. The ceiling is carved wood in the Moorish revival style for the architecture fans out there, with 24-karat gold accents. There's a marble fountain at the center and an elaborate double staircase leading into the hotel. The place is so stunning. So if you haven't been there, you have to check it out.
1: The thing that's awesome about the Biltmore is it really is kind of a landmark of when Los Angeles came into itself. The 1920s were a huge boom time in Los Angeles, and downtown was just exploding with a lot of high-rises and glamorous buildings and uh la was finally saying hey we are a first-class city we're just as important as chicago or new york or san francisco all these places la had compared itself to in its first 100 years and when the biltmore is finally opened in 1923 after years of planning it becomes instantly the premier hotel in los angeles and what was so important was and you can see it even reflected in the architecture It was made to look like a luxury hotel that had history and pedigree, even though it didn't have any history, Mm. right? It's this Beaux-Arts kind of Romanesque slash Italianate mishmash of architectural styles that people associated with the very wealthy at the time. And all of the, if you see all the finishings, they fake marble and wood and fake travertine and all of these different materials that signified that this was a place where aristocrats came. Of course, the aristocrats of Los Angeles were guys who had made a ton of money in oil or real estate or silent movie stars. It wasn't the typical aristocrats of other cities. So you really can't overstate the importance of the Biltmore in encouraging civic pride in Los Angeles and in making people feel like Los Angeles had arrived as a cultural destination.
0: Can you tap into that part of this idea of why it was so important in the early 20s, 30s? What I learned was that the Alexandria was like the the cute hotel before, yes. and then the Biltmore knocked it out of his ranking, right?
1: It did, you know, the Alexandria was where a lot of very early silent stars partied and it was considered very luxurious, but you can still go to the Alexandria today. It's only a few blocks away and it's nothing compared to the Biltmore. I mean, it's lovely, but it has nothing on the grandeur of the Biltmore. And during the late teens, early 1920s, you really see L.A. building lots of civically minded cultural monuments. And the reason for that was that so much of America still looked at Los Angeles as this kind of shady, wild west town. And the people who had made a lot of money in Los Angeles were really pissed about that. And they wanted to say, no, look, we have our own community. We have our own culture. We are the epicenter now of fashion and style for the West Coast. Like, screw you, San Francisco. (laughs) And so the Biltmore is just one of many different places built in the 1920s to really signify that. At the Grand Opening Ball in 1923, there were 3,000 guests, there was this multi-day affair, there were huge courses and meals served in all these luxurious ballrooms. Of course, the famous Crystal Ballroom, which was painted by the world famous painter Giovanni, what was his name, Smeraldi. And one of my favorite characters in the story of the Biltmore is a lady named Peggy Hamilton, who I actually wrote about years ago for KCT. And she was basically the first fashion editor of the Los Angeles Times. And she said, I want to bring the glamor of Paris and New York to Los Angeles. And so at the opening of the Biltmore, which she was kind of the unofficial hostess for the opening gala, she had a dress made that was an exact replica of the design of the famed crystal ballroom here in the Biltmore and it is a dress that still exists until recently they actually had it on display here and they're supposedly going to put it out again and it was this dress with you know balcony seats that were her pockets and dripping in diamonds and illustrations of all Esmeraldi's murals from the ceiling on her dress and I just love that story because it's this eccentric lady who is so specific to LA who figure out her own way to become this cultural dynamo in this new city and she would give teas and fashion shows here all throughout the 1920s and movie stars from Joan Crawford to everybody you can think of would come some would participate in the fashion shows and so it became a gathering place for the Los Angeles elite.
0: You, as you are like mentioning the details of this opening gala it sounds like the Met Gala for a hot <laughs> second. And I'm like, oh my gosh, just imagine how people were so excited. And uh, the, the point in time, you know, um, that I want to talk about as well is when the Academy Awards kind of was birthed here at the hotel. That happened in 1927. Tell us about how this historic building factored into all of that.
1: So in 1927, this is where the Academy of Motion Picture Sciences was officially founded at this huge dinner of a lot of Hollywood studio heads and movie stars and insiders. They really wanted to codify their place in industry in America, right? And say, we are an important organization and we are also an industry of significance and of cultural importance to the world. And so that's what the Academy's founding was really all about. And legend has it that at this dinner, Louis B. Mayer, who was the head of MGM, fascinating, terrifying guy. (laughs) He basically said, wouldn't it be cool if we had an awards ceremony that honored outstanding work in our field? Great publicity for us, you know, establishing that we are an art form worthy of having an award ceremony and being commemorated. And it said, allegedly, that MGM designer Cedric Gibbons designed a little statuette that would be given to this theoretical Academy Awards winner. And the statue was what we now know as the Oscar. It was this knight holding a uh, sword with kind of a motion picture reels at his feet. And so it said that the Oscar was born by Cedric Gibbons drawing it on this kind of cocktail napkin during this meeting. A caveat to that is this napkin has never been seen Mm. and never been found. So it might just be a fanciful, lovely origin story, but it also very probably could be true. It's also funny that over the years there's been many different stories about who actually came up with the nickname for the Academy Award, the Oscar. Some say it was Betty Davis. There's a lot of different stories. So, you know, Hollywood is a town of fables, and so there's a different story for everything. But there is no doubt that the Academy was founded and initiated at the Biltmore, and the first... Academy Award ceremony was not held here, but there were eight Academy Awards held in total here. The last one was in the 1940s, and then it kind of outgrew the Biltmore and went to different venues. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: Mr. Camper is still in his opening speech, and I think it might be interesting for you to know some of the celebrities who are here tonight in the Biltmore Bowl. It looks like a Park Avenue fantasy. Henry Fonda is here, Norman Foster, Leo Forbstein, And I see Betty Davis down below here with her party of friends, Frank Lloyd, the great director who is- So
1: there's so much Academy history that took place in the Biltmore Hotel. And sadly, the Biltmore Bowl still exists today. It was their grandest ballroom, but it's been totally redone. It's been cut in two. And so now when you go in there, it just kind of feels like a Radisson-like conference room. It's not exciting anymore. But to imagine what must have happened there is always fun to do.
0: Coming up, more about the hundred-year-old Biltmore Hotel with historical journalist Hallie Mears. Hey what's up y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish Podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe.
1: As an artist, you always meet yourself.
0: Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish, rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. Back now with journalist and LA history buff, Hallie Mears at the Beltmore Hotel in downtown LA. For those who haven't been here, for those who are curious about the Beltmore, I do wanna do a nod to the big backdrop this has of, of big movies right a star was born was filmed here lady gaga's character her place of employment was the kitchen um, fight club where brad works as like, a waiter in one of the ballrooms i'm sure you watch the movies and you go like oh my god that's a bit more duh
1: absolutely and what i love is uh that there's also scenes from one of my favorite movies and i think the definitive movie about los angeles chinatown which Mm -hmm. was also filmed here so they constantly still they make a huge amount of money to this day renting out the biltmore to different production companies and one of the biggest draws of the biltmore is the, the amazing ballrooms like the gold ballroom and the crystal ballroom they're just absolute works of art they're so rare especially for a relatively new city like los angeles and you really feel like you've stepped back in time when you go into these enormous ballrooms and also if you've ever gotten a chance to go to the pool here it is unreal yes there is an indoor pool here uh that is full blue tile like art deco decadence it's the most gorgeous pool outside of like hearst castle you have ever seen it's just absolutely luxurious and amazing
0: And, you know, uh, it's not just Hollywood that had its, you know, kind of brush in these halls. I mean, politicians stayed here, of course. FDR, Harry Truman, JFK. um, The Democratic Convention was held here in 1960, I believe. It's an important place, you know?
1: It is. It's an important place for political history as well. Like you said, in 1960, the Democratic National Convention was held here when they nominated John F. Kennedy. In Los Angeles, the candidates made the rounds of state delegation. Each candidate urged his own nomination, but the Kennedy lead seemed insurmountable. And there's a famed presidential suite, which which you can still rent out here, where a lot of the folks you listed stayed or allegedly stayed. And the Democratic National Convention in 1960 was so pivotal because they elected this young, handsome, intelligent man. They really rebranded the Democratic Party. I believe that the times require imagination and courage and perseverance. I'm asking each of you to be pioneers towards that new frontier. And the Kennedys, it said, really kind of took over this place, right? Mm. And so we know now more about what the Kennedy brothers were up to uh, mm. in that time. So I have no doubt a lot of shenanigans happened in the Biltmore during the Democratic Convention.
0: That's interesting. Um... As I was preparing for this interview, I'm not gonna lie, um, I was like, we're gonna have to talk about ghosts.
1: Yes, we are. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not that type of girl that I love ghosts and scary movies, but we have to talk about them. Um, there's a story about the Black Dahlia, so let's go there.
1: Right, so what makes the Biltmore really infamous and famous in true crime circles is the fact that legend has it that. Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia, who is L.A.'s probably most famous murder victim, was allegedly last seen right here where we sit in what was then the lobby of the Biltmore, which is now the Tea Room. Uh. And it is said that a week before she disappeared, oh, I see you're getting creeped out on <laughs> I'm like, where is she? <laughs> I know, exactly. The week before she disappeared, it was said she came in in the late afternoon And you know, she was this very striking woman. She had this jet black hair, she was very pale, she was very beautiful, very well dressed. And she was clearly waiting for someone and very nervous. And people started to notice her because she was pacing up and down a lot. She kept going into the telephone booth back when they had those, trying to call someone. It was clear she could never get in touch who she was looking for. She asked the porter if somebody had come to see her, nobody had, and she was clearly getting more and more agitated as the night went on. And she got a drink, a non-alcoholic drink, uh, which is important because you know so many disparaging things have been said about her over the years. And she just got increasingly agitated and nervous-looking during the night. And then around 10 p.m., it seemed she had finally contacted who she wanted to on the phone. And she strode, you know, confidently out these doors right in front of us here. Mm-hmm. And some people claimed that they had seen a redhead man greet her outside. And could this have been her killer this could this be someone who knew who her killer was nobody knows and so for many years people believed the Biltmore right here where we sit was the last place Elizabeth Short was ever seen before her body was found horribly mutilated in that empty field in Lemert Park however new research suggests that she was actually seen there were sightings of her in the week leading up to her death But we know she was here and we know she was acting very suspiciously a week before her body was found. So these halls in this room we sit in hold a lot of mysteries. Because if we knew who she had been trying to get in touch with or who she was waiting for, we could maybe unlock the secret of the Black Dahlia. So of course, since you have this famous, famous person uh, who was brutally murdered and the murder is still unsolved, of course her ghost allegedly haunts this place. Mm -hmm. It is said that she rides up and down the elevator, often getting out on the same floor. A man claimed he was in the elevator with this beautiful black haired woman and uh, didn't realize till he saw her picture later on that he had been in the elevator with the ghost of Elizabeth Short so she has been seen many times in the Biltmore and it's so funny when I was going on my tour of the Biltmore with the uh, general manager he said to me you know I don't know if I believe in ghosts but I cannot tell you how many employees have come to me with stories of different ghosts they have seen. You know, there's also the legend of a little boy on the third floor who will say to people who he thinks are following him, you know, what are you doing? Why are you following me? I live here. And there's also allegedly a girl ghost who haunts the roof. So, like any great hotel, you've got to have your great ghosts of to course. go with it. And uh, I can believe this place is haunted.
0: Yeah, I actually, another a story, uh, and it's not really a story. I've stayed here before um, with a friend like, who comes into town here and there. And he's like, girl, did you know that this, this, this hotel is haunted? How did <laughs> work put me in here? I was like, because it's haunted, it was probably a good discount rate, right? <laughs> but I want to put us back into the now. I don't hear much about the glitz and glamour of this historic hotel, even though it's beautiful, um, you know, I think they've done a great job preserving some of the things they've had. Things have changed, obviously. Where is it now, where does it stand? The biggest event in my world I've heard happens here is the LA Press Club, you know, you know, mm-hmm. dinner ceremony that they have every year. It's for a bunch of journalism nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, I don't know, what's, what's popping here?
1: It's really interesting. It was recently bought by Millennium, and they're really trying to rebrand it and focus on the historic glamorous aspects. But, you know, there's a lot to contend with. There's a lot of other luxury hotels in downtown L.A. now, and there's the simple fact that the Biltmore started to go downhill as early as the 1930s because downtown by the 1930s, because of the advent of the freeways, of... Everybody moving west towards the ocean or out towards the valley. Downtown lost a lot of business, especially after World War II. And... It lost all of its cachet. And that went on for many, many years. And it's actually kind of a miracle the Biltmore survived at mm-hmm. all because so many other hotels in this area did not survive. So they really are working hard to restore it to its former glory and make it again a destination site. They've talked about doing a lot of themed nights like flapper nights and stuff like that, since people really love that in the historical community. So I think they're really trying to rebrand and alert people that this amazing space is right here in downtown LA, and it's open for business, and I hope that it succeeds because cultural monuments like this in Los Angeles are few and far between, and the fact that we have so much of the original artwork and architecture still here, it's such an important thing for the city of Los Angeles.
0: I love that. Alrighty, well, thank you so much for joining me and telling me about this dope history. I've. I've Been here before and I feel like I'm I love it even more now.
1: Thank you for having me. It's always fun to come to the Biltmore.
0: That was Hadley Mears. She's a frequent contributor to LAist, and you can find her article about the history of the Biltmore Hotel at laist.com. We'll also link it for you in the show notes. This episode was produced by Monica Bushman. Our team also includes Megan Motel, Victoria Alejandro, Evan Jacoby, and Erica Washington. Megan Larson is our executive producer. If you're not subscribed already, please do so. We'll see you here next time. And until then, keep an eye out for ghosts. (laughs) Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. The L.A.S. Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism.